President Donald Trump's aim of greatly restricting all forms of immigration took a big step toward being reality recently. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the federal government can greatly limit its asylum system, banning those that don't seek asylum in a safe third country prior to coming into the U.S. In Tijuana, this drama is playing out in real time. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is Border Dispatch, a special episode of your San Diego News Fix. To get a deeper understanding of what's going on across the border, we have two members of our border team in the studio, Kate Morrissey and Gustavo Solis. Let's start with the Supreme Court ruling that happened last week. What did this set into motion? So the Supreme Court got rid of a temporary injunction on a policy from back in July that says that people who have transited through, so traveled through, a country between their country and the U.S. must first apply for asylum in that other country. Mm -hmm. Or if they traveled through many countries, at least one of those countries, uh, before they're eligible to apply for asylum here. And kind of give us a sense of scope. How many people would be affected by this? Pretty much... Everyone who is not Mexican who is coming to our southwest border and requesting asylum, whether they are from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Cameroon, Eritrea, Somalia, China, doesn't matter. They're all going to be affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because of how geography works, right? I mean, the entire U.S. border is with Mexico, so any non-Mexicans that travel through that country mm-hmm. per this new policy are required to first apply for asylum in Mexico or be completely ineligible, with few exceptions, uh, from asylum in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a story kind of getting the reaction of the people who are affected in Tijuana. When you rehash what you heard? Right. Well, and first of all, I think it's important to note that the Supreme Court decision is not final. It allows the federal government to implement this policy, but there is still a pending lawsuit over the legality of the policy. The Supreme Court just said that while that lawsuit is pending, the government can do this. And there is this date, this cutoff date with the policy, July 16th, which is when they first introduced it. Essentially, it says anyone who arrives to the U.S. after that date is ineligible. And the story I wrote focused on a lot of people who arrived to Tijuana before that date, Mm -hmm. but because there are so many asylum seekers waiting to come into the U.S. that have to wait months and months before arriving, there are, I think it's safe to say, hundreds of people in Tijuana who arrived before July 16th, but have been waiting and been unable to get into this country. So they were essentially eligible for asylum when they arrived, but overnight they became ineligible for asylum. And what's interesting about that, too, is that A lot of people um, point the finger back at the Trump administration when you look at the backlog of asylum seekers in Tijuana because of this policy they have called metering. And so um, you have the administration telling people, we don't want you to cross into the U.S. illegally to ask for asylum. Come to our ports of entry to ask for asylum. But we're only going to take so many of you per day if you come to the ports of entry to ask for asylum. Oh, but then if you didn't get up in by this date, now you're no longer eligible. So after the Supreme Court ruling, what options do people have? So if people arrive here 
in the at the U.S. border and make uh, a claim of fear, they um, while they're not eligible for asylum, they do still have the option of applying for two other kinds of protection. One is called withholding of removal, and the other is relief under the Convention Against Torture, uh, which is commonly called CAT. Mm-hmm. So um, withholding and CAT both have higher legal standards that you have to meet in terms of how likely it is that something bad will happen to you. Um, they also don't give you a path to a green card, don't give you a path to citizenship, but they are um, ways of being allowed to stay in the U.S. so that you're not returned to a country where it is more likely than not that you will be killed or tortured because of certain certain things about your identity. Mm-hmm. So, so people can still enter the same system, go through the exact same process. The um, form to file for those is the same form as the asylum form. You just check extra boxes. Um, but they won't technically be allowed to apply for asylum, which would give them the path to the green card. Um, people are also uh, have the option of applying for asylum in Mexico. Um, it, the program there is, has a lot of criticism, um, particularly because there's not a lot of resources in the program to mm-hmm. be able to process the numbers of people that are coming through. We also get a lot of asylum seekers from Mexico, so there's quite a bit of question about how safe Mexico would be for somebody who's fleeing for the reasons that people flee for asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those seem to be the options on the table at this point. Is there anything else the administration can do besides just like stopping asylum, period? Probably. I mean, <laughs> they're very creative in dissuading people and creating deterrence. So I... I I don't know. They have very smart people working for them. I wouldn't put anything past them. Mm-hmm. They have, um, over over the past year or so, they have found uh, a lot of ways of interpreting laws that have never been used in those ways or, or parts of immigration law that has never really been uh, active in in the way that it's it's been used in order to do this. One example would be the the migrant protection protocols more we all call it remain in Mexico mm-hmm. uh, more generally uh, you know that comes from a statute that's been on the books for a, a long time but we've never had a program like this yeah what happens to those individuals who asked for asylum they said sure we have a court hearing we have to remain in Mexico what happens to those people so if my understanding um, is that if they first made their uh, either stepped foot into the port of entry or crossed over over the fence to U.S. soil whenever that very first date was in their processing for asylum, that's the date that will matter in terms of whether or not they're put in the program. So the fact that they were then returned to Mexico, waited and came back, entered again into the U.S. for their court date, that entry date is not the date that determines their eligibility for the program. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that some people through this program may still get asylum. Possible, yes. Likely, uh, that's another question. Mm-hmm. And all of this is a, is a massive backdrop because 
there's a massive backlog of asylum cases in immigration court. Can you describe those problems? Well, I think the backlog explains why everything is taking so long with a little bit with the metering, but more with MPP. There are folks in MPP who go through, you know, two, three, four, five hearings before they there's a determination. And every time they have a hearing in the U.S., they get sent back to Mexico, and it's a couple more months of waiting uh, to see what happens. And that's because of the backlog, and you see the backlog manifest itself in different ways in San Diego's immigration court with the judges just getting more and more cases and, and you see some of that frustration sometimes when you go to court. Mm-hmm. Well, so part of it with the the more general immigration court structuring is that historically immigration court has prioritized detained cases. So people who are held in long-term custody like Otay Mesa Detention Center. And so they prioritize resources to move those cases more quickly. Um, which means that people who are released from detention, their cases go a lot more slowly. And Mm -hmm. so um, as you have more people entering the system who would be released, for example, uh, people arriving with small children because small children cannot be held in places like Otay Mesa Detention Center, there's rules against that um, for their sort of general well-being. Um, those folks end up in this this larger pool of, of the immigration court backlog. But that's not the only kinds of cases in the immigration court backlog. You have people who, um, you know, don't have papers to be in this country, who are found by, um, by immigration officers inside mm-hmm. the country in one manner or another, and then have immigration court cases. Um, you have people who have green cards and commit some kind of crime that puts their green card into question. And so those questions have to be decided in immigration court. And it's sort of this this snowball of all of these things growing together that has that created, you know, an immigration court backlog over the past several years. Mm-hmm. And now what we're seeing in San Diego is that we have Remain in Mexico sort of taking over the court. And so everybody who's been waiting is now waiting even more because of the focus on those cases. So it seems like no matter what stage someone is in this immigration court system or claiming asylum, there's a delay across the board. Pretty much. And so far, has anyone who has been through the Remain in Mexico program been granted asylum? Yes. Um, so the first one was we wrote about earlier. His name was his name was Alec, and we just wrote about another person yesterday, um, Gustavo. Uh, spent a good bit of time with him, so maybe he should share a little bit. Yeah, his, his name is Douglas, and we've written about him in a couple different contexts. He's been in Tijuana since October of last year, so that just kind of goes to show you how long it takes for someone to go through this legal process. Uh, while he was in Tijuana, we wrote about him most recently because he was part of a group of three migrants, Central American migrants, who decided to build their own shelter down there in Tijuana. The shelters right now are crowded. Central Americans face discrimination and racism in Tijuana. So they thought, why don't we build a space uh, by migrants, for migrants, where women and children who are in MPP can come here and hopefully receive services one Mm -hmm. day. So this man, Douglas, became a, a leader in Tijuana. And just yesterday, actually, Kate and I got to sit in on his final asylum hearing. And the immigration judge ended up saying he was credible and had a fear of returning to Mexico. His, uh, I'm sorry, he had a credible fear of returning to Honduras. He was a youth pastor there, 
worked with local uh, gang members, got them out of gang, and you know that obviously made him an enemy of the gang over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just one case out of thousands. Literally thousands, yeah. It's thousands 42,000 at this point, more. Yeah, and so what's interesting too is that you know, we're just starting to see, like, we're just hearing the timeline of how long it takes an asylum case to be done if um, if you actually take it to the end for a decision on your merits, right? Like, there's people who, who don't show up, and particularly in the MPP program, there's a lot of people who, for one reason or another, are not making it to their court hearings. But... Um, for the people who do show up, it takes several, like like Gustavo said, it takes several times to get all the way to the end. And so we're just starting to see the first people who are returned getting to the ends of their cases. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that Douglas had a lot of help. He had not only a lawyer, but a, a legal team of about four people behind him. This legal team would uh, go from San Francisco to Tijuana, interview him, prep him. They talked to experts. They got... Um, a doctors to look at Douglas to, to provide testimony in immigration court if needed. The vast majority of people in MPP do not have that type of legal help. They don't mm-hmm. have any legal help. And when you don't have legal help in immigration court, your likelihood of being granted asylum diminishes greatly. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And I suppose as we are finally seeing kind of the lifespan of an asylum case truly kind of occur. Are you seeing with people who have cases or who are remaining in Mexico, are they starting to give up? Yeah, I think they have been. Um, We don't know why. It's hard to say why. Uh, And we don't know always where they go. We just know they they stop going to court. Do they go back to their home country? Do they stay in Mexico? Do they try to cross illegally? We're not sure on what those numbers are, but you do see it in court that all of the people on the calendar, not all of them show up. Mm-hmm. There were also at the beginning um, a number of issues with people being given pieces of paper with the wrong court dates or or missing pieces of instructions in terms of, of what they were supposed to do to be able to come back. Um, and so for those, for especially the cases that were at the very beginning implementation of MPP, there's a lot of question about whether the person didn't come because they didn't come or did they not come because they didn't know it was that day. Um, There were a couple of isolated instances in which uh, the person showed up at the port of entry but were not brought to the court for one reason or another, and that's Mm -hmm. that's been reported as well. So there's, there's a lot of different circumstances that play into that. It almost seems like if there's an obstacle possible, there's one there. All right. Kate Morrissey, Gustavus Elise. Thank you both so much. Thanks. Thank you. In other border news, a 20-year-old man driving an SUV in Hamul was pulled over over suspicion of smuggling. He had 10 Mexican nationals in his car. The man, who was not identified, came to the attention of Border Patrol agents after they spotted a group of people getting into the man's 2005 Toyota Sequoia near State Route 94 shortly before 3 a.m. on Thursday. Following a short chase, agents detained the driver and the passengers. The man was arrested and the Mexican nationals were transported to a border patrol station for processing. 
Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. On weekday mornings, you can also hear a quick rundown of local weather and headlines. Just tell your smart speaker to launch the San Diego Union Tribune. You can also get the Flash Briefing as a podcast. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to uniontrib.com slash podcasts. Until next time.